Hello, Blazers. Welcome to episode 69 of UAB Green and Told, original release date Monday, April 11th, 2022. This podcast allows us a chance to share stories from members of the UAB community. Want to listen to previous episodes of the podcast? Visit alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold or look us up on Spotify and the Apple Podcasts app while there leave a written review so more alumni can find us. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and assistant director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. Today's guest, Caitlin Miller, gives the term well-read two different meanings. First, well-read because she's a self-proclaimed bookworm, and second, well-read because, well, she's the managing editor of Food & Wine. Her journey toward getting her dream job plays out like a good story, one that she'll share she kind of stumbled into. I applied for the fellowship at Southern Living, which is what I got when I graduated, and I was like, I'm just going to do this for a little while and just, you know, it's like a thing to do while I'm applying for graduate school. Ultimately, grad school and UAB would come to fruition. But as she'll explain, the hard work was just beginning. It was just a lot of like nights and weekends up writing stories, writing papers, reading, you know, doing my assignments for my class and then, you know, showing up to class and participating for many hours after a long work day. Plus discover how she has a career that scratches an itch for two things she loves. But I love food and I actually really love wine as well. So I think food and wine kind of hits both of those two things for me. J.K. Rowling once said, if you don't like to read, you haven't found the right book. Well, Caitlin Miller has found the right book over and over again. She loves to read, loves all things English, really. While she grew up in the musical mecca that is Nashville, Caitlin may have been a little bit country, but she's also a whole lot of bookworm. Oh gosh, yeah, total bookworm, I definitely would say. It's what I, my mom always tells me now because I've got two young kids and she's like, do you remember wanting to watch TV? And I say, no, she said, you just wanted to read. That's all you wanted to do. The minute you learned how to read, you never looked back. That's where you could always be found. So yes, I loved Loved reading, loved writing from a really early age. Um, Took creative writing classes as an elementary kid, just like was so all about it. Um, I knew I was going to be an English major the minute I stepped foot on campus. Yeah, I just always loved it. I really wanted to, um, actually really wanted to teach. I really wanted to be a a professor, you know, teaching English in college. So yeah, I've always loved reading, writing, teaching, just the whole thing. Yeah, it's been a huge part of my past. And could always be found buried in a book somewhere and have always um, enjoyed writing as a pastime. And as I got older, you know, creative writing and now learning more and more and more every day about just journalism and nonfiction writing, it's just been huge for me. So yeah, it's a long-term passion for sure. Who are some of your influences when you're reading growing up and what were your favorite books? Oh gosh. I mean, I like every young girl, I was a huge like Jane Austen fan. I read all of that from a really early age. Um, which maybe, I, I don't know, maybe like little kids don't read <laughs> Jane Austen anymore, but I mean, I loved all the classics that we read in school, To Kill a Mockingbird, all, all of the Southern um, authors that we know and love now were a huge influence on me because it was nice to see that we could have these writers coming out of our own, um, you know, out of our region that wrote such compelling work. But yes, I was actually just really into, um, when I say historical fiction, I don't mean just historical fiction about history, right? But just writers of old. Um, and especially it was a huge, huge fan of Jane Austen and just loved the the spunk that she had to write what she did and sort of write outside of her knowledge on some level too. I thought that was really interesting, even as a very young child. So I was always looking to read beyond my, my level, if that makes sense. I was sort of 
wanted to sort of do, you know, read the thicker book <laughs> than the other kids, which is maybe a little competitive, but um, yes, I definitely loved the um, kind of old school English authors first and foremost, and then kind of moved on to Southern authors as sort of the second favorite after that. You mentioned that you wanted to teach English. Was that still the goal at the end of your undergraduate experience at Samford? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that was definitely, that was always my aim. And I think a lot of English uh, departments across the country, not just Stanford or UAB, are very oriented towards teaching. Um, you know, it's what our professors do, right? They teach, and so they really prepare us to teach, I would say. Um, we're interested in that future. Some of my friends from that department went on to be English um, professors and English instructors and English, you know, high school teachers and that kind of stuff. So I think it's a very um, common track and um, it's discussed a lot. You know, again, it's just like what professors typically know most intimately because it's what they do. I do feel like I didn't know much about the professional world that involved my passions, right? Outside of teaching and teaching other people how to do it. So yeah, I definitely graduated from, <laughs> I graduated from Stanford and I applied for the fellowship at Southern Living, which is what I got when I graduated. And I was like, I'm just going to do this for a little while. And just, you know, it's like a thing to do while I'm applying for graduate school. And I kind of switched tracks at the last minute and decided to apply for MFA programs and as opposed to PhD programs, because I got really interested in creative writing and the, the idea of writing and teaching creative writing after college. So yeah, I took the job at Southern, at Southern Living as a fellow. So basically an intern, like a full-time intern with this idea that I would just try it out and just kind of do something in the meantime while I was waiting to get into graduate school. And it turned out that, you know, I kind of went down this path that I, every year I was like, well, I'll just, I'll take this opportunity and then I'll see what comes of that. And it suddenly became a career. And here I am something like 12 years later, you know, still doing it. So it's been, I've been incredibly fortunate, I'll say, um, that people saw in me, you know, a potential for this future that I really maybe didn't quite see for myself at that at that point in time. And that's just, that's college kids, right? <laughs> you know, nobody knows what they want to do until they get a job offer. And then they're like, well, maybe I should try this out, you know? And that's definitely what happened for me. And it became, you know, a passion. Teaching and writing are still passions for me, but I think, um, you know, what I do in my role is, is a really good fit for my skill set and for my background and for my, um, you know, just editorial experience, production experience, um, planning experience just kind of all comes together in this really beautiful way for me here. And I feel very fortunate to be in this role and kind of this many years into a career that I definitely did not expect to have. Was graduate school always a certainty for you? Was it something you wanted to do regardless? Because at this point, you wanted to teach. Yeah, mm -hmm, for sure. I mean, I, you know, MFA program, I mean, I think it's a, it's a complicated, um, anybody who's considering graduate school as a thing on its own, right? Like without a job, you know, kind of has to consider the possibility of like what life looks like after um, graduate school, especially if it's not a funded program, right? And those are, these are the things that I was sort of facing in that year after my fellowship at Southern Living. And, you know, do, do I want to go into a program that I have to pay for? It's an MFA, you know, this is a little dangerous, you know, I don't have any college debt. Is this the thing I really want to take on? Um, and so when I got the offer to work at Coastal Living, which is my first job, I but you know what, I'm just going to table this idea of graduate school for a minute and just make some money. I didn't get paid much, right? But um, make some money and just kind of see how this goes. Because, grad, you know, I think the advice that I got from my, my professors at Stanford was that, you know, graduate school probably will still be there, right? But if you have other opportunities, it's good to kind of try that out and see how that goes, right? 
Um, and I enjoyed my fellowship at Southern Living. I was actually working on the copy desk there, like as a copy fellow, so specifically copy editing and fact checking. And that wasn't really the right fit for me, but I enjoyed learning about magazines and how they're produced and how they come together. And so my job at Coastal Living was copy and production. So I did some fact checking and copy editing, but I also learned how to produce the magazine, you know, how it actually goes to press, what do you have to do to make sure that it prints correctly and on time and all that stuff. And so I thought it was a good opportunity to learn and then figure out if I wanted to pursue graduate school, which I did eventually um, while I was working at Coastal Living. So I went this maybe slightly harder route, uh, route when it comes to graduate school and working at the same time. But yes, I was really um, very passionate about going to get a graduate degree for sure. I felt like it was something I should do and wanted to do. And I also just wanted to keep my options open for the future. As I think a lot of people my age have learned that they should do, right? Because there's not, um, you know, the stability in many industries is very different than it used to be. So it made sense for me to sort of explore all of my passions and continue to learn, which I think is important, uh, while also working in a job full time and learning how to do that, you know, which is its own, <laughs> its own thing that you have to learn when you graduate from college. What did going back to school and enrolling at UAB do for your career? I mean, the goal was pretty broad, I would say. I wasn't really sure what it was going to offer my career, but it, I feel like it definitely did offer my career a lot. And obviously it led to me being able to teach a little bit at UAB as well. And I think that's just on that ongoing learning and ongoing sort of foot in that realm has helped me, I think, in my job, be a better managing editor in terms of identifying solutions across the board, helping people learn how to be better versions of them, themselves professionally, right, and myself. And, um, you know, really problem solve in an editorial way, which is very different from just problem solving from like an IT or software kind of way, right? There's not always a really clean answer. And some of those critical thinking skills really, I think, apply editorially better from like an English degree to what I do now than maybe in some other realms. Your experience at UAB is drastically <laughs> different than a lot of people's because you're working and you're going to school at the same time. What was your experience like having to maintain both the career and academic rigors? It was so hard. <laughs> so it was so hard. It took me three years to get that degree. And I went to class usually twice a week from like five to 10. You know, there were not any online classes at that time at the graduate level. So I was on, you know, I would leave work at like 430. I would go to class and I'd be, you know, you get like a break between classes and I'd bring like a sandwich to eat, you know, in the hall between classes. And, you know, I get home and you just have to kind of keep working. And often I had to work late on the other nights to kind of make up for any work that I wasn't, you know, cause I, you know, in magazines, it, maybe it's different now, but you have to work late a lot just because you're on deadlines. Right. And if you work in copy and production, you know, your deadline is the press deadline. So it doesn't, doesn't move. <laughs> There's no grace there, you know? So it was, um, yeah, it was a really, really, really hard work. And obviously I did, I was very careful to make sure that I was doing all of my work for UAB, you know, well outside of my work hours. So it was just a lot of like nights and weekends up writing stories, writing papers, reading, you know, doing my assignments for my class. And then, you know, showing up to class and participating for many hours after a long work day. So it was, it was really hard, but it, it was the value I find it. And I think I'm sure you hear this from a lot of folks, right? Is that when you're working for a degree and you're also working in a profession, you actually, you, it means more to you. It's kind of funny. You're in these classes with people maybe your age or younger and they're not, they don't have, you know, they're going home to like eat pizza and watch TV and they might get up at 11 o'clock tomorrow. And, you know, they're, they're working just as hard as you are when it comes to the, the degree itself. But 
they're also not carrying the load of a full-time job, you know? So my husband was in law school at the same time. We actually kind of shared that three years together <laughs> in terms of being in school. So we thankfully were um, in a position where we both had to, to work really hard in the after hours, right, on schoolwork. And so it worked out that, you know, we were a good support for each other in terms of making sure that we got our work done and, and all that stuff. It was a very like studious couple of years in our household <laughs> for sure. The best part about it to me now is that I, you know, in teaching online at UAB as an instructor in the English department, most of my students are in the same boat that I was in when I was at that point in my life, right? They've got families, they've got jobs, they're doing their work at one o'clock in the morning, you know, they're facing incredible pressure and they're not, you know, they, they haven't been in, you know, a, a comp level writing course in like 30 years. Like it's just, you know, it's been such a long time. And I think it gives me such an understanding of what they're going through. And it, you know, I, I, I make sure that they understand, like, I want you to succeed because I've been there. I've done that. I've done what you're doing. And it's important to me that you succeed because I, you know, I was able to succeed by working hard, but working with my professors and making sure I got my work done. I know how hard it is. So having that perspective, that's, that's not just, you know, I'm 18, I go to school and I go home and I eat dinner and that's it. That's all I have to do today. Not that that's a bad thing, but having that perspective of working full-time, working towards something that I cared about, and then also getting a graduate degree that I also cared about that kind of scratched a different itch in my brain for that however many hours a week, you know, has really helped me be a more successful instructor and help, um, honestly, has probably helped some of my students that um, may not have succeeded otherwise succeed because I have that perspective um, from that experience, so. Here you are someone who had the goal of teaching you're continuing now to teach you're also having a professional career what's it been like being able to kind of have your feet in both worlds i love it so much i mean it's i cannot express how fortunate i feel and how much i love doing it how important it is to me to maintain both i mean i think anybody who teaches understands that the, the longer you teach the easier it is to teach right like you You've seen different problems before, you know, so as my career has gotten more difficult, I'll say, and more challenging and there, when the stakes are higher in my career, I'm grateful that some of the harder days of teaching are kind of behind me in terms of like learning how to respond to students in a way that's constructive when they're upset or, you know, learning how to deal with certain circumstances where a student maybe falls off the grid and then comes back on the grid and wants to finish a course, you know, anybody who teaches knows that there's sort of a lot of um, decisions that have to be made as a as an instructor or a professor kind of along the way that really impacts students in their lives, their finances, their families, you know, their relationships, like it, you know, there's a lot of pressure there to make sure that you're making the right decision that's fair for the student and also fair for the, the classmates too, that are also doing the same work. So yeah, it's been an incredible experience because I think they, you know, those two things really, as I've said before, sort of scratch different itches for me. You know, one of them is more creative. It has to do with evaluating work. Um, it has to do with um, providing feedback to students and, you know, showing students that you care, working with them, you know, caring about their futures and caring about the fact that they have to finish this course to keep moving on at UAB, you know, and, and making sure that you're being thoughtful and thorough in your evaluations of them. And the other one is just I mean, it's it's creative in a different way, right? It's like, how do we create this incredible content at Food and Wine? How do we create it on time and on budget? Um, how do we ideate these incredible issues? I mean, you know, food and wine is a tastemaker in the food world. And it's just so incredible to get to work with this huge talents, both on staff and off staff in terms of contributors and photographers and writers. 
so yeah, it's been an incredible experience because I feel like I've seen, you know, I still get to do what I've always loved, which is teaching and offering feedback and evaluating work and, and really seeing students understand concepts that I, that are actually really fundamental to sort of critical thinking skills. It's really important to me. I often feel like I have to sort of help people understand like why they're in the course <laughs> when they have to take these English courses at UAB and they're like, I'm going to be a doctor. Why do I need this English course? And it's, you know, you have to kind of start at the beginning about, you know, what is rhetoric? How do we persuade people how to do things? How do we communicate with other people? Right. And to see that kind of come together for them and understand, oh, there's something about this. that's going to help me make a more persuasive argument to my, my patient someday. If, if I have feel strongly about something or to make a more persuasive argument to my, my client someday, if I'm trying to con convince them of something, I can use some of these skills to help make this incredible argument. You know, on the flip side at Food and Wine is just like, you know, we just get to create these gorgeous magazines and there's something really satisfying about, about both of those things. So I feel very, very, very grateful to get to do both and, you know, just to kind of live that dream of doing two things that you're really excited about all the time. You get to work for a magnificent media group that produces things like Southern Living and food and wine. Do you have to be a fan of interior design? Do you have to be a foodie? And do you have to enjoy wine with all the roles that you've been through? I think it helps. <laughs> I think it helps if you enjoy that. I mean, most of the magazines that I've worked for, um, uh, working at Cooking Light and Food and Wine has definitely scratched that sort of foodie um, thing that I love is food for sure. And then coastal living and country living and Southern living, you know, are all mostly shelter titles or food titles. Um, and I love interior design as well. So I would say that was kind of what I felt like my background was, was sort of in the, in sort of the home arena. Right. And then, um, but I love food and I actually really love wine as well. So I think food and wine kind of hits both of those two things for me. And I, you know, food and wine has just been a constant education for me because there's so many different components. It's not just like, hey, we have, you know, we create recipes for you and we have wine pairings. And it's, you know, telling the story of what food is like in this country and how it's evolving and how it's changed. And food and wine has been there, you know, for the last 40 years, like as a tastemaker, but also like a, a documenter of that change in, in a big way. Our pages are changing. Um, we're documenting what's happening in the culinary world. And you know, it's just been such a, such an incredible education to learn about these, these chefs, these tastemakers, these contributors, these, you know, like these trends that are going on in the restaurant world and the food world and the wine world that are just, you know, we're writing about them first, you know, so it's really, I say, I, I will say I loved all the magazines. I love all the magazines that I work at for sure, or that I've worked at in the past. Um, my interest was probably more in the food title. I mean, in the home titles, because I just love interior design. But I think that working in the food world has been such an incredible and valuable education that I love it more than I ever could have thought that I would love it when I first started. What is a typical day of a managing editor at Food Wine? What do you do? Um, it's a lot of different, I wear a lot of different hats throughout the day. I, my primary kind of three areas of responsibility are the budget, right? So I, we, I run the budget for the magazine you know, making sure that our manuscript spending, our photo spending, our um, development spending, our expenses, um, our temp line spending is kind of all in line with what it should be. That's sort of my primary um, hat. I also um, am constantly involved in sort of short and long-term planning. So short-term planning, I mean like, how are we going to get this issue out the door on time kind of thing? Long-term planning, like, you know, we're always working on at least eight or nine issues at one time. Kind of working on things at different stages in the process is really important. 
We're also always working on our long-term sort of big tentpole franchises, right? So for example, uh, Food & Wine has the Best New Chefs franchise. You know, over the last 30 years, we've picked well over 300 of the best chefs and culinary talents in this country. And so the planning for those franchises starts about a year out. Most of the meetings I have throughout the day are about money and planning. So yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of planning, a lot of answering questions. You mentioned that you're working on additions well in advance. How do you stay on top of trends and determine what's going to be the hot thing months down the road? We have incredible editors that help us that um, are very, very good at that, I would say. Thankfully, that's not my role as magazine. Um, I get to read about them just like you do. And I'm so grateful to, to sort of be um, on the receiving end of those trends. Um, but yeah, we have some incredible editors, both in Birmingham and in LA and New York that are constantly on top of these trends. They're out there tasting in restaurants. They're going to press events. They've got connections with people in the industry. And yeah, they're just, they're using their spidey sense, right? That incredible editorial spidey sense, which is what makes them just such incredible editors um, and, and tastemakers to say, you know what? I've been seeing these, you know, incredible little like fried donuts and all of these different restaurants and everybody, you know, really elevating this, this dish to be something incredible. And, you know, let's write about this, you know? So um, definitely on the receiving end of the trend <laughs> of the trends, um, because I'm not out in restaurants doing what they're doing but I'm constantly in awe of it and in awe of their ability to identify trends and tastemakers in terms of like innovators and things like that in the, in the industry. It's just so impressive to me. So we are good at that because we have incredible editors and contributors who, you know, toss us their great ideas as well in terms of, you know, great, great freelancers that we have great relationships with. You work for Food & Wine. So what's your favorite bite of food? If you could only have one thing, what would it be? I'm kind of a sweets person. Um, so I would say a big heaping bite of Alexa's cake, um, in Mountain Brook with some icing and some cake together in one spoonful, that's going to do me good for, for a while. Um, second favorite would be a big giant bite of Frank Stead's grits, um, uh, from Highlands with maybe some, um, some onion in there with it, that those two things would probably be my top, my top two. Go to wine. I mean, I love white wine, so I'm a big Chardonnay person. I feel like, you know, Chardonnay is making a comeback, so I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a Chardonnay girl. So that's my, my very favorite. And I'm, you know, I'm, I really, really love, um, highly recommend uh, Golden Age Wine Shop in Mountain Brook. It's just an incredible place to find natural wine, to learn about natural wines. And I've gotten some really incredible stuff. I can't remember the name of it, but there's one from Santa Barbara there that's a Chardonnay that's just fantastic. It's my favorite place to go and just ask, what should I get? What should I get here? Just tell me and kind of give some ideas about what I'm looking for. And they're just so good at identifying bottles and your price point. And I introducing you to, cause I really do love natural wines and they can be a little funky sometimes. I really love saying, you know, I, I love natural wine. This is what I want. Tell me what I should buy. And they're just, those guys are so incredible about making great recommendations. So anything from golden age Chardonnay, I'll buy it and drink it. <laughs> That's Caitlin Miller. Caitlin earned her Master of Arts degree from the College of Arts and Sciences in English back in 2014. Currently, she's managing editor of Food & Wine magazine, while also scratching an itch as an instructor at UAB. While she has a passion for writing Food & Wine, she definitely has an idea of what it means to be a blazer. 
I'm really proud to be a Blazer because I really care about Birmingham and I care about this community. I've really been so impressed by what UAB has done in Birmingham in terms of just, I mean, investing in this community, um, bringing incredible talent in from all over the world to work at UAB, right? I mean, I just think UAB has just really elevated the profile of Birmingham so much over the course of the time it's been here, of course. But I think in the last like 10 or 15 years, the efforts that UAB has made to, to build these gorgeous buildings in that location, to make the campus something that kids want to come to and to live on campus. You know, it's just such a different experience now that I think that it was even 20 years ago at UAB in terms of like what the campus like life is like. And I think being a Blazer is just being proud of being part of Birmingham and being proud of the, the footprint that UAB has in Birmingham and the the way that UAB has sort of raised Birmingham stature in this country because Birmingham has so much to offer. I love living in a city. You know, I've been really fortunate to work at these incredible magazines that are based in Birmingham. We brought food and wine down to Birmingham and having a, a, a world-class university like UAB in this city makes such a huge difference in, you know, its past and its future. Um, so I'm just really proud of what UAB has done here. And I'm proud that I have a degree from UAB and, you know, I feel like it's, um, you know, I feel like I was investing in my city by going to, to UAB, and I feel like I'm constantly reaping the benefits of UAB being so close by, um, just in my day-to-day -day life, and the people that I need, and the neighbors that I get. Um, it's just, yeah, it's done a lot for Birmingham, and it's made Birmingham just a really incredible place to live. So yeah, very, very proud to be a Blazer, for sure. Be sure to listen to previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. You can find all of them at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share? email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search UAB Alumni. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers!